I couldn't. So, like, I'm going to see if this goes live on LinkedIn. <laughs> All right. Well, That'd be we'll awesome. See. We'll see. Yes. All right. Well, welcome back to the Beyond the Wire podcast. I am your host, Tim Keller. A little bit of a cold open there with Matt giving us some details. Have but Matt, how are you doing, sir? Uh, I'm well. I spent the weekend in Key West, and it. Uh, we'll talk a little bit about that here at Reverend Warriors uh, Silky Hike. My brother lives down in Florida, and we went down there, and uh, I went down to visit him. It was a great time. I'm going to do more of these. I can't believe that I haven't done any of these yet. Nice. And nice. of course, now here at my house, my wife has COVID for the second time in three months. So we're dealing well, with that right now. You said she's doing okay. So she's fine. All right. She's fine. She had the sniffles. It was a runny nose. That's the worst it got. And uh, yeah. So well, no complaints. I will say that in my household, the, the ladies of the house seem to deal with you know the cold and flu type of things much better than I do. Right. You know, I have yep. that, that old man flu thing. Right. When I get sick, it's it's rough. It takes me down. <laughs> yep. <laughs> so, yep. It's a bad deal. I will say Key West in December is not a bad location for a hike. I'll tell you what. It, it, it was so funny because there's Christmas lights up and everybody's got all their decorations up. And at night, there's, you know, the streets are lit up and the stores mm-hmm. are open. Everybody's out shopping. But it's 80 degrees and people are wearing shorts and T-shirts. Yeah. So. Yeah, it was very, very different. I think uh, aside from one time in the Marine Corps where I spent a Christmas in Southern California, I don't think I've ever missed a Christmas in Cincinnati. And so it's typically cold and snowy and rainy and gloomy and stuff like that. So it was a it was a, a unique experience for me to be somewhere completely different in Christmas season. Yeah. Yeah, I was um, I was down in Florida just after New Year's one year and, you know, coming from the northeast down to Florida that time of year. It feels like a heat wave. So I'm down there in t-shirt and shorts. I'm standing outside right. in flip flops talking on the phone. And I have locals driving past me on their golf carts, giving me the evil eye because, you know, they got the knit hat bundled up in their jackets. Like, right. What are you doing? Right. Dude, it's 75 out here. <laughs> like, yeah. What are you doing? What are yeah. you doing? It's, it's nuts. It's my, nuts. My brother lives in Fort Lauderdale and will take to social media and, and he'll say things like, Oh, it's a, you know, it's a brisk 78 degrees today in Fort Lauderdale, you know, while, while everybody's complaining about snow and things like that. Everybody so, back home. Yeah. Yeah. I hear you yep. there. Yep. Absolutely. Absolutely. So uh, everything else going good? Same. Yeah. No complaints. You know, we're approaching the Christmas season here and Have trying you to button started? up. I have. I have a, no. a, but you can't see it. I have a pile of boxes sitting next to me. I, I am really bad about wrapping gifts. And so I will get everything and I'll, I'll bring it in. I'll pile it up and then I'll try to figure out how I wrap it almost at the last minute. My wife gets really mad at me because she wants the piles, pre- uh, the piles of presents underneath the tree. And I will do it on Christmas Eve, Eve. Yeah. And then it, it looks like Christmas for two days and then we tear it apart and there's nothing there. <laughs> I I do understand uh, that thought. I actually finished my last order, but now it's that whole stocking stuffer thing. And I was yeah. just talking to the wife the other day. Buying stocking stuffers for an adult is possibly one of the hardest things. It, no, it is. It's. I mean, what do you get an adult that fits inside of a stocking? You know, I was with chapsticks and lotions and, and stuff like that. It's my wife perfumes. likes chocolate, chocolate with caramel in it, and so I'll do yeah. like chocolate with caramel in it and. Uh, some other little candy things, maybe a gift card to, you know, get her nails done or something like mm-hmm. that. But yeah, you're right. I mean, quite honestly, I have the hardest time shopping for people in general. I just, I don't have, I don't have enough capacity to, like, I don't know what people want. And then, of course, my wife never tells me what she wants. So then it's like, I don't know what I'm supposed to get you. 
so my brother and sister and I, we all, the way we exchange gifts is that we'll build Amazon wish lists. Absolutely. And then we'll just share it with each other. Like, these are the little things that I want that I'd like to have. And, you know, it, it's within reason. It's Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're not asking each other to like, hey, I need a new car. Yeah. But. Hey, here's this 85-inch uh, flat screen. I'm right, right. Yeah. So. Uh, you know, it's, it's, uh, for a lot of people, it's a stressful time of year because if you're not sitting on a, a bunch of money, then you, you, you know, you're trying to spend money. And this year there's, uh, probably a little bit more frustration with supply chain. So I've heard, uh, I have not personally experienced anything short, any shortage of, of note. Like I'm not looking around going, oh, I can't get my hands on shoelaces or, or whatever. Yeah. But things are, I know if you're special ordering certain things, they're, they're taking a little bit while, a little bit longer to get there. And, um, and I think a lot of people are doing their shopping a little bit earlier, which is good. It's great for business. Business can account for, uh, better profits quicker. So, uh, but it'll force us to maybe shop local too. If all the goods are sitting on ships out in the Pacific Ocean, then let's go down to the local shops and see what they've got. Maybe it'll be just a unique Christmas. Yeah. Absolutely. Do you think anybody uh, in the Marine Corps has tried to use the uh, no boot polish of the PX? You know, supply chain shortages. That's why my boots look like trash. They don't have to polish their boots anymore. Oh, that's so they, right. Yeah, they don't have the, to. They don't have to starch and iron yeah, their camis. They don't, they don't have, have to do have to any polish work. Their boots. They uh, just they just show it up. They just show up. Just so, show up looking yeah. like a bag of ass. <laughs> yeah, right. So uh, Darren on on LinkedIn is asking, Irreverent Warriors are still doing hikes in Florida. Uh, Darren, I just did the last one. Key West was the last one of the year. So the, the schedule is opening up for 2022. Actually, they've got the schedule up right now. I'll put the link up here in a second. We'll, we'll talk about Irreverent Warriors in a minute. Uh, but I'll tell you, if you have served in the military and you still want to stay connected to this community, it is just a great way to uh, it, it's a great way to 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 go in there and uh, it, connect with and and work alongside of your you know your fellow veterans once again. Yeah, I know I know you have some uh, some photos you want to share. You, why don't we go ahead and get into that first? Let's, let's talk about this. Yeah. So you so, said your, your your brother who's a Navy vet. Correct? Yeah, my yeah my brother my brother served in the Navy, so you know nobody's perfect, right? Yeah. Uh, and served in the Navy. Uh, he's a couple of years older than me. And share my share my screen here. Uh, he and I. So he lives in Fort Lauderdale. He's uh he works in logistics, and so he's he's down there in Florida living the life, uh, top down in the Jeep all day long. Mm-hmm. And so uh, he asked me come down for this this Key West or Reverend Warriors thing. I did the one in Fort Lauderdale. I think he's done a couple more of them uh, in the area. And so he asked me a couple months ago if I'd come down. And so I, you know, quick and easy flight from Cincinnati. I did come down. We we took a four hour drive from Fort Lauderdale down to Key West. Beautiful drive, by the way, because you're on those bridges that go from the Keys from from mainland to the Keys, and it's just amazing. The seven mile bridge is seven miles of bridge mm-hmm. over the water. It's amazing. True Lies with Arnold Schwarzenegger was filmed there when they blew up the bridge at the end. The famous line "Get to the chopper, the bridge is out" was on that bridge. Oh. The, the Marines and the Harriers came in and fired missiles at the bridge and they blew up part of the bridge. And, and interestingly enough, I don't know if they did this for the movie, but they had replaced the old bridge with the new bridge. So there's a new bridge there, newer bridge that you're driving across, seven miles long. And then next to that is the old bridge and it's still there in sections. Hmm. And so I think they actually like destroyed part of that bridge for the movie. So it's kind of interesting. I was going to ask if, if they actually get to blow the old bridge up. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. It, it, it's kind of interesting. 
But uh, yeah, so uh, we went down. We're, we're driving around in the Keys. This is a key deer. This little deer, it's the size of a dog. And it, it is yeah, it's 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 pretty awesome though. You've got these little deer, and this thing walked up. My brother was like, "They'll walk right up to you." And so we pulled down this little side street. I've got my GoPro in my hand, and then he's taking the picture off of his GoPro as well. And this little guy, he has an antler and a half, as you can see. Yeah, he's missing one. He's no kidding about the size of a a Doberman, probably or a Golden Retriever. Oh, yeah. And and uh, and so we rolled up, and and here's this little guy. And uh, he came up to the, the car, and I was afraid he was going to try to like spear me with his antler. With his little spike, yeah. But I held my hand out, and he walked right up, and I was kind of touching him on the nose. And it was kind of interesting. It was an interesting experience, so we got some photos of that, too. This is the Irreverent Warriors Silky Hike. So one of the rules here, a couple of rules for the group, you have to wear silkies. That's okay. number one. Uh, everybody has to wear silkies. Whatever you wear beyond that is uh, is up to you. Up to you, you. See- yeah. Yeah, you're like you'll see, you know, this guy's got American flag silkies on. Nice. Uh, I was wearing a t-shirt and my regular green. So I had black silkies on actually. You know, 80 degree out, 80 degree weather outside. So some of these guys aren't even wearing shirts, but cowboy hats, and you got the guy in the navy shirt back here. So people wear what they want, but it's a it's a very it's a very cool event because this is us at the southernmost point bell in Key West. If you've ever been there, this is the southernmost point of the continental U S and there's typically a line of 50 to a hundred people lined up here waiting to see the bell waiting to walk and take a picture in front of the bell, which is this big red structure back here. You can't really see it, but it looks like a giant bell. And of course there's some devil dogs that climbed up to the top of this thing and they're waving their flags around. So this, this line of 50 people allowed us to cut the line to come in here and take a picture. Um, and then there was this chant USA, USA. So, just a really powerful experience, a really a really good opportunity. It, it, it's almost like the humor, the barracks humor that you saw in the military mm-hmm. happening out here uh, without the restrictions and regulations of the military. And, and, and bear in mind, one of their rules here is that it, there's no political messaging here. It is simply it, their mission is, I'm going to paraphrase, it's to use humor and camaraderie to improve veterans' mental health and and prevent veteran suicide. Awesome. And so you're you're taking this group of people. There were probably an accumulated, I don't know, 75 to 100 people in the hike. And we marched through the streets of Key West. And at one point, we, we came to this place. I have video of this. I'll share it later on. We came to this place where there was an annex on a, a part of a military installation. And there's a harbor there. And it says no swimming in the harbor. And what do all the... What do all the devil dogs do? Well, they take you off and swimming. go swimming. Yeah. One thing was the cops were right there, and the cops were like, "We don't care." So, uh, just a just a, a really cool experience. Uh, nice. That's myself and my brother before the yeah. hike kicked off. Um, I, I love my brother's shirt. It's George Washington wearing a red hat that says "Make America." <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> that's pretty funny. I like that hat. So interestingly, when I got down here, I ran into another guy that I used to work with at a different company. He was there in the parking lot as we were gearing up to, to step off of this hike. So we did probably about 10 miles nice. throughout and it's a real slow pace. You're not, it's not a race. We're not out there to like to, to, to yeah, nobody's dropping out. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, you know, just a great opportunity to, to kind of get back and do some of this stuff again. Now you said this is the last one of Florida, the last one of the year. Okay. Uh, so I think that they kick off again, 
in probably January, February. I know my brother and I were looking at another one in February in in uh, Fort Lauderdale, and so they are uh, they're coming pretty soon. I'm going to put up a quick banner uh, on the screen so you so anybody who's watching can uh, can check out the Irreverent Warriors website. But it's simple as that: Google Irreverent Warriors. Uh, the schedule is up for 2022. It's a great opportunity just to pop in and and uh, and and just get back with the community, back to the military community. I talk to a lot of veterans who are like, I don't know what I should do to participate. I don't, I, I don't know how I get back into this community yeah. after they're out of the military. And this is a great way, and these hikes are all around the country. So there's probably one that you could reach by driving within two hours at any given place. And if there's not, and you think that you have a market to do it, you could probably volunteer to set up your own. So it's a pretty good deal. Fantastic. That's Irreverent fantastic. Warriors. And you can follow them on social media and all the channels as well. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. I wonder if uh, you made any of their social media posts. I am I'm in I'm in some of them. My brother uh, my brother found a few of them, yeah. Okay. Awesome. That yeah. is fantastic. And yep. like I said, great time of year to do it in Key West. Right. Imagine that being July. <laughs> Eighty degrees. No, it would yeah, right. Yeah, well it's funny thing was all the all the Florida people were like, oh, it's so hot out here. I came from Cincinnati. It was snowing last week. Yeah. And I'm like, this is great. Yeah. I, uh, I'm i enjoying every second of this. Yes. I'm going to soak up all of this. Right. Amazing. It, it has been so far a pretty mild winter where I'm at. You said it was snowing. It, it uh, We got snow last week, middle of last week. We got snow. And then, of course, these storms rolled through the Midwest mm-hmm. a couple of days ago and, uh, and, and wreaked some havoc. So... Uh, it's 61 degrees today in Cincinnati, so it yeah. doesn't feel like winter right now. It, it's been mild so far. We've had some cold days. Yeah, yeah it's uh, it's in the 60s here in Pennsylvania as well. You, you brought up these storms, uh, the tornadoes that went through uh, you know, the Midwest, uh, parts of Tennessee, Mississippi, Illinois, Arkansas, but uh, Kentucky seemed to be the hardest hit out of all the states. The Kentucky National Guard has now deployed hundreds of troops to help with tornado devastation. Here's some of the photos. I mean. They're saying the one tornado they believe tracked a few hundred miles on its path, which is a extremely long distance for one storm to to track and, and you know maintain land contact. But you're talking about whole communities, uh, you know, developments of, of homes just absolutely leveled. Uh, there was the um, I want to say it was a candle manufacturing plant. They 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 showed that it was uh, completely crumbled, and it, they they believe there was. You know, a few like 60 people in the building at the time of the collapse. Yep. Um, you know, just ultimate devastation. Some of these pictures here, um, actually remind me of Katrina. I was down in New Orleans right after Katrina helping with some of the cleanup and you would go to neighborhoods where you, you would just see concrete pads of foundations yeah. where homes once stood. And for, you know, as far as you could see, it'd just be pad after pad after pad. And you could look around and count and say, there used to be 40 homes yeah. right here. Yeah. And there's nothing other than this concrete pad that would let you know that there was ever a community right there. Right. Um, and then other parts of town that didn't have that drastic damage necessarily structurally. Uh, but because of the flooding and things like that, you would drive into these parts of town that literally look like some sort of, you know, post apocalyptic, yeah. you know, movie setup because there'd be buildings and there'd be random cars strewn about. Uh, you know, a tree knocked down here or there, power lines down, and literally not a human being uh, anywhere in sight. Right. And, you know, it's a it's a terrible, terrible situation. Uh, I know FEMA's definitely involved, but uh, 
the Kentucky National Guard troops have been deployed to communities devastated by this weekend's tornadoes that have killed at least 80 people. They are still in the process of trying to uh, remove rubble and uh, hopefully find and rescue any more uh, individuals that may still be surviving. Guard members are performing law enforcement duties, help up, uh, helping with cleanup debris and supporting recovery efforts. Uh, they are joined by the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers. They're, they are actually tasked with trying to get emergency power and getting critical public facilities and services back up and running. Um, I read a story yesterday of a, a gentleman who lives in, um, in Tennessee. He owns a, like a lawn care business that he runs. And, you know, in the wintertime, he kind of switches his, his focus and he does some like barbecue. Right. Um, last, uh, last week, the early this week, I'm sorry, he packed up as much food and, and, and product as he could hooked up his smoker on his personal truck and drove over to Kentucky, set up shop and just started cooking food. He was just handing out food, uh, you know, because that's what he could do. He, he wasn't there. You know, obviously nobody's looking to get their lawn cut, the trees trimmed, anything like that, but he knew that he could provide a service. Uh, this gentleman by no means is any sort of millionaire. He's driving probably a, a 10 to 15 year old pickup truck, uh, with what looks to be a homemade smoker. Mm -hmm. He's hauling around. Uh, but it's individuals like that and, you know, these small acts of kindness that, uh, really do help in times like this. But yeah, if you're seeing these pictures that Matt has up on the screen, uh, it's an absolute tragedy. It was 200, 200 plus miles this tornado traveled. It was something like, you know, a, a half a mile wide at some point I read just massive. So I have an aunt, my, my father's sister lives near Bowling Green or in Bowling Green and she's lived there for most of her adult life and as it turns out this uh some of my my other aunts and uncles were visiting them over the weekend and I was in Key West so naturally here in Cincinnati you know weather's coming in my wife's like well what do we do I'm like go in the basement make sure you you, you hunker down mm -hmm. but uh but my aunt my aunts and uncles who were in Bowling Green said that like the rental car got smashed by a tree, most of her mature tree. She lives on a property that had a lot of very mature trees, older property. It, it they were smashed, the trees are all ripped down, the power is out. Um and you can see from these images, I mean, this is not exclusive. Tornadoes don't discriminate. You know, mm -hmm. I, I think when I was growing up, it used to they used to talk about Tornado Alley and all the pictures you saw on the news, it was it was trailers being knocked over and things mm -hmm. like that. You're talking about tornadoes come through communities and knock down hospitals and schools and and other buildings and houses, big and small. It doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. There are thousands, tens of thousands of people right now uh, without without power, without access to you know medical facilities, et cetera. So there's a lot going on down there. There's a lot of FEMA help. Mm -hmm. uh, I think this weekend, early next week, I might run down there with a friend of mine. I've mentioned Dave Corlett here on the yes, show yeah. before. Dave works for the Cincinnati Police Department. Dave put together a, a quick little Venmo fundraiser, and he's asking people to to throw it in there, uh, throw a couple of bucks in there, and he's going to take as much money as he can get and, and put some supplies and some toys and some gifts and things like that and take it down there on Monday. So he called me the other day and was like, hey, can your vehicle haul a trailer? And I'm like, of course we can. Let's go do it. So let's pack okay. up this trailer and, and take some items down there. There are a lot of people there helping, of course, but I think... What you miss sometimes is that, you know, there's food and, and water and medical facilities and, and some of the debris cleanup. But 
the the unknowns right now are you got to think about how many children, uh, how many families with children potentially lost everything. Yeah, and, and, and we're nine days away from Christmas. Right, and they might not get anything. And this mm-hmm. could be, you know, bear in mind also, this could be people who have lost their coats, their clothing. It's the middle of winter. I know yep. it's we were just talking about how it's mild out, but all it takes is a cold day, and now you've got children without coats. Yeah. So we're we're going to try to take some supplies down there and do what we can. Uh, but it's it's an ugly situation, and yeah, like I said, two hundred some odd miles, two hundred plus miles of or tornado, a continuous tornado path mm-hmm. was destroying these houses. Uh, for the veterans or non-veterans out there, uh, check into Team Rubicon. Team Rubicon is a veteran-based disaster response organization. You can go in there and sign up as a gray shirt. You take a quick assessment. Make sure that you're physically capable to, to go down there and volunteer. And they will deploy you similar to how military deployment works. They'll deploy you with a team of people into a trouble spot. Some of that's, it can be search and rescue. Some of it is rebuilding. Some of it is cleaning. Some of it is feeding people. It's, you know, all of the stuff. You look at the images again, you're seeing, you know, roads littered with debris and, and houses that are fully collapsed or cars that are overturned. So there's a lot of, uh, let's call it muscle, but there's a lot of manpower that's needed down there. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. The um, Fort Campbell, Kentucky, uh, was set up as an emergency staging area for the Army Corps of Engineers. Uh, search and rescue teams um, and others are using Fort Campbell as their 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 base of operation. There are 52 generators, 30,000 meals, 45,000 liters of water. There's cots, blankets, infant and toddler kits, medical equipment and supplies. Uh, so FEMA and... Uh, U.S. government are trying to do everything they can to possibly help. Um, but yeah, like, like Matt's planning on doing and, and like the gentleman I mentioned earlier, I should have got his name. Um, you know, it's, it's those little acts that help out so, so much as well. So, right. Um, you know, if, if you are in that area and looking for help, uh, you know, don't feel, don't feel bad reaching out and, and asking for assistance and asking for help. That's, that's what these right. programs are set up for. And that's what these people are in that area to help do. You know? 100%. So, um, it's terrible to see, especially this time of year, right before the holidays. So, uh, we hope everybody down there finds a way to have a good Christmas. And there's no good time. That's, that's the, that's the thing. You know, there's no good time, but I, I do think that for the, for the magic of the season, I realize that there's nothing we can do to, to make up for that. But I think that if people have a couple extra bucks or some extra toys or whatever you can do, whatever you can give, this is, and it's this case for every natural disaster. Mm-hmm. There are people that are more affected, uh, especially children, elderly folks, uh, people who might not have a whole lot, have just lost everything. And they might not have insurance either. And so anything and everything to do to help is uh, is always appreciated. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, it's tough to move on from that. But, uh, Matt, you found an article that revealed something to me that I was not aware of. So the world of medicine lost a potential great in the summer of 1953, but the U.S. Army and the world of television and film benefited from this loss. That was the year that James Earl Jones graduated from the University of Michigan and was commissioned a second lieutenant instead of going to medical school. So I had no idea that Mr. James Earl Jones ever served in the military. Um, the article on military.com kind of gives you the rundown jones spent that summer in the army um where he attended the university of michigan as a pre-med student uh during his time in college he became disillusioned with the idea of becoming a doctor 
but found that he thrived in a military culture. Uh, it does, uh, it does state in the article that when it came time to reenlist, um, James Earl Jones commander asked him, was there any other thing outside of the army that you have ever thought about doing? Uh, Mr. Jones's father had been an actor, um, while he was growing up and he thought he would always follow in his father's footsteps. So he let his commanding officer know that I've always thought maybe I wanted to be an actor. And his commanding officer, which I, uh, when I read this line, I think it's amazing, amazing that a commanding officer would look at a, a, you know, junior officer that is by all accounts of this article doing very well, say, the army will always be here. I think you should go chase your dream. And then we all know that, you know, James Earl Jones has gone on to be an amazing actor on, on stage, on film, on television. Um, you know, he voiced, Darth Vader in the Star Wars series. Um, but yeah, after his discharge, there he is. This is what blew my mind though, that, that he was Darth Vader's voice, but clearly he was not Darth the actor Vader, inside yes. of Darth Vader, which I had to add that image here too, because when I watched Star Wars as a kid and the guy in Darth Vader took off his, his mask, I was like, I, I you know, I didn't associate the, the voice with the guy, but later on when I found out that that was James Earl Jones' voice and this was the guy, first of all, I was kind of disappointed by his appearance. Uh, mm. he, he looks a lot different than I ever thought he would look, the, the real guy. Um, but then I was like, well, why didn't they just put James Earl Jones inside in, of yeah, the, in the costume? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, and, and I, I also realized that sometimes, uh, the interesting thing about actors who have to wear masks or makeup, for movies, uh, sometimes that process is really difficult. A lot of time it takes, and not everybody is able to to wear a mask for you know nine hours of shooting every day or, or whatever. But I thought that was interesting. Yeah. So I had to throw the real actor's uh, face up there, who was actually Darth Vader, but James Earl Jones was Darth Vader's was the voice, voice. Yeah, the famous absolutely. voice of Darth Vader. And uh, James Earl Jones has spent more than sixty years uh, now as an actor. He is called one of the greatest actors in American history. Uh, he has actually achieved what is known in, in the showbiz world, the EGOT, where he's won an Emmy, a Grammy, an Oscar, and a Tony for uh, Broadway plays and musicals. So, uh, you know, absolutely fantastic actor, fantastic voice actor, obviously. Uh, but yeah, I think that, one, I was blown away. I never knew that James Earl Jones was in the military. And then B, as you read the article and you find out that Again, he is being a very successful young officer. And when it comes time to reenlist, his commanding officer gave him amazing advice. <laughs> Go chase your dream. The army will always be here. Right. Now, had James Earl Jones gone to New York like he did and maybe five years down the line hadn't found any level of success, maybe he would have gone back. But luckily for all of us, he became the actor that he is. And uh, mm -hmm. we're all, you know, we're all more entertained for it that's for sure so. i just i just finished a movie last night called by dawn's early light it just happened to have james earl jones in it as one of the main characters and it's a movie about uh the end of the cold war where there's an accidental nuclear missile launch uh against a against russia by a, a nato country i think it came from turkey it's all obviously fiction but in that the response from the Russians is to launch nuclear missiles against the United States. It's an automatic response. 
which then kind of shows the it's sort of a historical fiction. It's it's kind of uh, an accurate reference to what would have happened. These guys get up into the aircraft, the B-52s with the nuclear bombs on them. James Earl Jones just happens to be on, I guess, what we would call like a command and control aircraft flying around. And he's a general on that aircraft giving orders about where the where our bombers should be going and when we you know pull the trigger, so to speak. But it just happens that that article came up uh yesterday and i was reading it about james earl jones but i also just happened to be watching a movie with him in it yeah yeah i will say um the actor that plays darth vader in the suit all day definitely looks creepy i'll I'll give him that yeah as a kid i remember feeling disappointed Mm -hmm. by his general appearance he he looks like a an elderly gentleman yeah you Uh, thought he uh, would be menacing more menacing than yeah I, I, you know, uh, I you know we've talked about Adam Driver plays Kylo Ren. Mm-hmm. Uh, Kylo Ren was another one. I mean, I like Adam Driver. I think he's a great actor. Uh, he's also a Marine. Yes. Uh, which makes it relevant to our conversation here. He, he served in the Marine Corps in the infantry. But he, and then he went and became an actor. But when he took off his mask as Kylo Ren, I was like, well, that's not really what I thought that guy was going to look like. You know, it's, uh, it, I like I say, it's disappointing. It's just, you, you develop these, personas in your head like what you think this person looks like same with the mandalorian if anybody's ever seen the mandalorian i know Uh, what that guy looks like in real life uh but it's you know it's not what i would think he would look like based on his character and it's you know that there that's a great example because uh, also i know what that actor will say i know him from uh, narcos and some other things yeah he's in a bunch Um, of things my daughter though had no reference of that actor and she loved the mandalorian We we would watch it together and there is an episode where the mask does come off and you get to see the actor that plays the Mandalorian. Mm-hmm. And my, my daughter just goes, I didn't think that's what he looked like. Yeah. I, I, I've always, is. I've always done that with, with musicians too, with the mm-hmm. advent of YouTube. You know, you never knew who anybody looked like. And now you're watching videos. And I'm like, that's not at all what. So the, the Deftones are one of my favorite bands that I listened to in the Marine Corps. And, and, you know, I, I took it out. It was one of the cultural things I took out of the Marine Corps. But Chino Moreno, the lead singer for Deftones, doesn't look at all the way he sounds. Like he's he's got this high pitched, whiny kind of voice, real soft voice sometimes, and then he looks completely different from what he looks like. But my son does it all the time. He's like, I really like the song. Let's watch it on YouTube, and then he sees the actual singer. He's like, well, That's not exactly what I thought it would look like at all. I've I've done that in um, at, you know, like at work. Uh, you work for a bigger company. You have multiple branches or locations or. Or whatever it is, and maybe you're speaking with somebody, you know, in a warehouse somewhere or in the HR department or whatever sales, and you speak with them, let's say once, twice a week, you begin to develop, you know, a, a, a distanced relationship with them. And then at some company function at some point, you end up bumping into this individual. You're like, wow, that's not what I thought Tom would look like. That's not yeah. what I thought Jennifer would look like. Yeah, it's like wow, you know, you 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 hear a voice, and I wonder what that is. Maybe th- their voice sounds like someone you've known, and so you start to build a character or an avatar in your own head, right? What you think that individual would look like. I, yeah, interesting. Yeah, that is interesting. Uh, we have a a fantastical article we wanted to bring to you guys because we have mentioned uh, Alwyn Cash multiple times now on the podcast, but Medal of Honors to be awarded, Medals of Honor to be awarded to uh, Alwyn Cash and two Afghani soldiers. Um, 
obviously, um, two soldiers who, who fought in Afghanistan. There we go. Uh, Matt's pulled up a picture. Um, the highest military honor will be awarded to three individuals. Uh, first off will be first sergeant, well, sergeant, sergeant first class, Owen Cash, uh, sergeant first class, Christopher Salise, who died after attacking an evacuation helicopter and master sergeant Earl Plumley, who risked his life fighting off a horde of suicide bombers overrunning his base. Um, I know, Matt, I believe you've brought up, um, First Sergeant Cash's uh, story before. Do you remember his yeah. his story? Yeah, he was. He went into a burning building. He was covered in fuel after an IED attack. And, and by the way, Alwyn Cash is the first black recipient of the Medal of Honor since nine eleven. Uh, and, wow. and it's a posthumous award for those of you who don't know. Uh, he was killed. He was killed in action in his in his heroic acts. Uh, but I think he recently. Uh, he is, he has received the Medal of Honor now. It's, he's not going to be a recipient. Now he is a recipient. This just happened. Uh, but he, uh, effectively the, the short version of the story is there was an explosion. The vehicle was on fire. He was covered in fuel. There were men trapped inside of that burning vehicle and he went in multiple times while he was covered in fuel, while he was on fire and he was pulling people out of that fire. And yeah. so I don't know, you know, you hear all kinds of, amazing stories about people who are awarded the medal of honor and the different things they do and typically it's gunfights and hugging grenades and you know in battle and this has got to be among one of the most heroic actions i've ever heard of mm -hmm. not to take anything away from any of the others by any means but you're going into a burning vehicle while you're covered in fuel you know that you're already on fire and you're going to keep going in yeah it it you said about, you know, hugging a grenade. You see a grenade hit the ground. Uh, you and, you know, five of your, your guys are all standing there and you're the one that dives on top of it. It's a, it's a reactionary thing. Mm -hmm. This was over a matter of minutes right. where multiple decisions could have been made. He could have chosen many, many times to say it's, it's too much at this point. It's time to give up and, you know, let it be what it's going to be. But yeah, the, uh, the, the vehicle caught flame. People were trapped inside. Uh, you know, when he went in to get the driver, caught fire himself. Yep. And continued to go back in. Uh, when the evacuation helicopters got there, he refused to get on the evacuation helicopter until all the other soldiers were in there to be evacuated first. Um, and then a few weeks uh, later, uh, First Sergeant Cash passed away due to his injuries. Um, First Sergeant. Uh, Saliz was 32. He was leader of a special operations unit. Um, he was uh, partnered up with forces from 1st Battalion, 75th Ranger Regiment. Um, he was on a 2018 mission to clear an area in uh, Paktaya province where enemy attacks had been staged. Large enemy force attacked his unit. Um, Saliz then exposed himself to machine gun fire and small arms fire um, to man a heavy weapon system, the White House said. The move shifted momentum of the firefight, giving his unit the upper hand and allowed the Rangers to move and cover and shriek the wounded members of the partner force. Uh, when the medical evacuation helicopter arrived, it was hit and it sustained enemy fire. Salise then made a conscious effort to ensure that his body act as a physical shield to his team carrying the casualties and the crew back to the aircraft. Uh, Salise then uh, stood in the way of the pilot of the, of the aircraft to ensure that the pilot would remain 
um, unharmed, and uh, in his in his last moments, um, you know, the aircraft and, and its crew were you know making tough decisions. Uh, Lee's then motioned for them to just leave him there and to take off and rescue everybody else. Uh, Salise also died that day during his injuries. And then finally, uh, Plumlee, he was a Green Beret. He was serving as a weapons sergeant at a Ford operating base in Afghanistan when a vehicle IED blew a 60-foot hole in the base's perimeter wall. At, uh, at that time, approximately 10 insurgents wearing Afghan National Army uniforms and suicide vests poured through the breach. Uh, Plumlee and a group of special operators raced towards the scene. Their vehicle immediately came under fire. Plumlee used his body to shield the driver while jumping from the vehicle, drawing his pistol and charging into what was described as a superior enemy force. He killed an insurgent attacker with a grenade and detonated another suicide vest by shooting it. Plumlee then charged into the fray, breaking cover and fighting in close combat. Another suicide vest detonated uh, a mere 22 feet away. Plumlee joined a group of U.S. and Polish soldiers who mounted a counterattack and attacked another insurgent who threw a grenade and then detonated his own suicide vest. Uh, and then lastly, engaged another attacker uh, coming in from the rear who detonated his vest and mortally wounded another U.S. soldier. Uh, it does not say that Plumlee um, died of his injuries he sustained that day, so I'm, I'm hoping to think that at least one of these gentlemen will get to live to see um, themselves be awarded the National mm -hmm. Medal of Honor. Um, you know, very, very few individuals for one, get this honor of being awarded such a high, you know, such a high medal. Uh, and even a smaller number of those individuals live to see the day that that happens. Right. Um, so when that does happen, that's a very special, uh, special event. So generally, generally when you're winning this award, it's the worst day of your life. And it is also something that is so harrowing and so dangerous that has led you to being able to be awarded this this uh, this high level of award. This is the highest level. This is the highest award that one can win, that one can earn, for combat valor in the United States military. Uh, that last story, uh, talking about Plumlee, you're talking about a, a vehicle packed with explosives running into the perimeter of a base. You know, essentially breaching the security measures, allowing for these insurgents to then, you know, come onto the to the base, and an individual like him just immediately reacted and put himself completely in harm's way. You know, I don't know how many people were on the Ford operating position, right. yeah. but he was, he was willing to risk his life to save the other five or 500 people right. that were there that day um, and did it without any hesitation. Right. Yeah. Just, uh, it's, it's amazing. It's amazing. These are, these are, Stories that movies need to be and books need to be written about. Movies Absolutely. need to be made about. Uh, uh, interestingly, uh, the, the last name Plumley reminds me of Sergeant Major Plumley from We Were Soldiers. If you've seen that movie with Mel Gibson mm -hmm. uh, and Sam, what is Sam's last name? Sam, the actor. Sam played uh, Sergeant yeah. Major Plumley, but that was Basil Plumley. Uh, he passed away in 2012, but he he had served in World War II, Korea. Uh, in, in Vietnam, and so uh, I, when I heard that name at first, I'm thinking, I wonder if it's spelled the same way, and if these two are related somehow. Man, that's a heck of a bloodline, wouldn't it be? Yeah, you know, these are these are those stories where, when I read them, I genuinely ask myself, if I put myself in these individual shoes, would I have acted or reacted in even a a minor 
sort of way to this and I don't I don't know that I would. I don't know if I could. You, you I talk- would love to think I would, but yeah, it, without being there and, and being put in these situations, you'll never know. And and for some of these individuals, uh, you know, if you put them, you know, as a third person being able to watch from above, I think they might yell at them themselves, you know, what are you doing? Get the hell out of there. Yeah. Uh, but it's a reactionary thing. It's a reactionary thing. And it's, you know, I always say this, like, we don't serve in the military for the the politicians. We're not serving in the military with the media thinks. We, you know, we're not we're not doing any of that. A lot of times the bonds that you form, and we talked about this with Irreverent Warriors, and this was probably the most exciting part of the Irreverent Warriors Silky Hike for me, was that then I'm once again back among the people who with whom I identify. Mm-hmm. And and we use that term a lot in society these days, and it doesn't mean much to me other than when I'm with this group. And I, I say that honestly because I don't feel like I belong in a whole lot of groups of people. And I, I've always felt that way. Like I, mm-hmm. I, I identify best with other people who have worn the uniform, and we had the same conversations, and we had the same uh, senses of humor, and we've had some of the same experiences. People who are in these situations, they don't they don't view themselves first as heroes quite often. Yeah. And and there's a, a couple of reasons for that. One, they were doing for their brothers and sisters what they thought their brothers and sisters would do for them. When your best friends or your family members are stuck in a harrowing situation, if your house is on fire and your family members are inside of it, you're going to run in and get there. And that's the same thing that Alwyn Cash did. His brothers and sisters were were in imminent danger inside of a burning vehicle. And he said, I have to go in there and do something. Because, you know, give it so many different reasons but what's the alternative that you just don't do anything and then you have to live the rest of your life going i probably could have done something yeah uh the other thing is in the military we know that you know in some cases the situations we're put into uh it's going to be dangerous i know for me that one of the reasons i joined the marine corps of of any branch was because the 17 18 year old invincible kid in me was like let's go do something dangerous you know let's yeah. go do something that that's it, you could probably survey anybody who joins an infantry or combat arms job. They want to be part of that, and they want to go do something that, you know, 99.9% of people aren't doing. So I, I, to answer that question or to, to have that topic a little bit, I, I think you're right. I think that a lot of it is how you're raised. It's your, your values and qualities as a person. Of course, that doesn't mean that the next time something crazy happens, you know, civilians go jump out of your car and go do something about it because yeah. you might not have the right training for it. but you look at any of these folks, Alwyn Cash, Dakota Meyer, uh, I mean, you, you can name any of these people we've talked about on the podcast. They all had specialized training. They all had unique experiences. And they went into the fray unselfishly. They went into the fray to help their brothers and sisters or to make an impact or to do their job 120%. Uh, you know, shameless plug. That's why we hire people from the military, not because they're willing to take devastating action to make sure that the mission is accomplished but you know you apply that to business and they are willing to do whatever it takes to get the job done they're willing to do whatever it takes and they're willing to to be the best out there Uh, in a world right now where we're seeing people who are kind of you know sitting back and saying like hey i want to want to make more money you know doing whatever i'm doing uh you got veterans who are making i think i calculated at one point in time in the marine corps i was making like for the amount of hours i was working in a week i was making like three dollars and fifty cents an hour <laughs> and it's we're, not a lot right and but it's it's the camaraderie it's the it's the team mentality it's the mission it's the it's the, the heritage of the branch that you're in it's all these different factors by the way 
if a company can duplicate that, you'll have the best employees on earth. If a company can duplicate that camaraderie and 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 allow people to have that amount of I want to get it right 100% of the time, you know, we're not in situations where you're going to win the medal of honor, but companies are hiring military veterans for the same reason, for the same fundamental reasons that people are winning the medal of honor or people are getting these awards for valor. Well, cuz that that you know, that veteran that's your new engineer is going to, you know, want to create the most efficient you know, machine or building or structure or whatever it is, you know, that 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 military member that you got now on your sales staff is going to want to be the best salesman. He's going to want to rack up the, you know, presidential uh, presidential awards and things like that. Yeah. It's it's these veterans are going to come in and they're going to want to be the best. And uh, some of them sometimes maybe a little ruthlessly will do whatever it takes to get that job done and be the best they possibly can be. That's right. That's right. Absolutely. Uh, you know, there's a lot of talk out there about inflation, uh, the cost of goods, things going up. One of those being gas prices. Gas prices are hurting everybody's pocket these days. And while high gas prices have pushed President Biden to tap into the U.S. strategic oil reserves, America's neighbor to the north is also dealing with a, with a shortage of their own for another so-called liquid gold. There you go. There's some, there's some oil reserves. Well, Canada has their own liquid gold and it is called maple syrup. You're seeing maple syrup being tapped from trees. Canada has had to tap in to their maple syrup reserves. First off, blew my mind when I found out there was such thing as maple syrup reserves. But NPR reports that the Canadian group Quebec Maple Syrup Producers recently announced it is releasing about 50 million pounds of its strategic maple syrup reserves, about half of the total stockpile. So that means they have a stockpile of roughly 100 million pounds of maple syrup. Okay, that's kind of wild. Quebec produces nearly 70% of the world's maple syrup. This past spring, we just talked about it being a pretty mild winter. This past spring being a mild spring, the harvesting time for maple syrup. They did not harvest nearly as much maple syrup as they normally do. And I guess with so many people staying at home, not traveling, the pancakes and waffles were a big part of everybody's breakfast. And the maple syrup usage has dried up the maple syrup reserves. Right, so they've had to break in and uh, pull out 50 million pounds of syrup. First off, why wait in pounds? Why not just gallons? Right? Yeah, yeah I don't I don't know if the easier way is. I don't know. I, well, So I was really hopeful when I was looking for images on this. I was really hopeful to find some like large storage containers. By the way, the storage <laughs> containers you see on the bottom right on the screen are not maple syrup mm. reserves. I was I was really hopeful when I saw when I heard 50 million, 50 million pounds. I'm like, how big is 50 million pounds in syrup and could that fill a handful of large containers so I, I was i was looking around for a little bit of uh imagery on what does it look like when they're storing 50 million pounds of maple syrup the best i could come up with was these pictures of these the, the cans and the trees. buckets on them yeah well they said they you know it's hard to predict what next year's crop will look like they already have plans to start a little bit earlier this year uh, you know, as early as February instead of uh, the normal March time frame is, you know, when they normally start trying to tap the trees for maple syrup. And they plan on tapping 7 million more trees this year. This is not the first time, though, that the maple syrup reserves have made the news. This one must have 
skated past me back in 2012. But an individual who was working for Quebec's maple syrup reserve stole more than 3,000 tons of maple syrup from the stockpile over the course of a few months. The value of the heist was estimated at 19 million Canadian dollars. What do you need what? with 3,000 right. tons of First syrup? First of all, how? How do you? Do, is that is that a tanker truck full of syrup? And 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 secondly, what are you doing? Are you like selling it on the black market? Are you like yeah. oh, you like off off shipping it or um, um, offshoring it? And like uh, people it's in uh, is Buttersworth. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I'm I'm smuggling this into North Korea for yeah. top dollar. Like I just I don't understand that. I go through a bottle, a, a maybe a large half gallon bottle of natural syrup so by the way this is the other thing i didn't realize until relatively recently because i wasn't reading ingredients on things most of the maple syrup you buy in stores is corn syrup it's not maple syrup and you're going to pay a little bit more for maple syrup so the the, the six dollar jug of of buttersworth or any of the other ones that you log cabin or whatever I'm, and i i don't want any of you guys to come back and get mad at me for saying this but some of those brands are just corn syrup with maple flavor. Then you've got the real maple syrups that are you're going to pay fifteen twenty dollars for a you know half gallon jug. But I didn't know that. But it takes me a year or two to go through a half gallon of that stuff. Like we're just we're not eating pancakes and waffles yeah. in my house like that. I mean, uh, yeah, I would I would I would say that's probably about right for my household too. A half gallon jug is going to last us a long time. Yeah. Um. But yeah. I I mean. This opened my eyes to a whole new world for me. I, I, A, didn't know how much maple syrup was out there, how much was being produced, that someone was stealing it at that rate, 3,000 tons of maple syrup. Um, obviously, I guess they had to be selling it. It was worth $19 million, you're saying. So I just don't know what, like, what do you, what do you do with that? And, and, and I guess secondarily, did that person make a profit off of that? Cause. So did they take their like thermos in every day and just hit the tap a little bit and you but know think I get that. 32 ounces out today and I'll get 32 yeah. ounces tomorrow. How how many <laughs> gallons did they steal? I guess? It was 3,000 tons. So you're talking so, 6,000 pounds. Now maple syrup's a heavy a heavier right. liquid. But do the math on that. If somebody's taking a thermos or even a gallon jug at a time, how long how long does that take? That's a lot of that's a lot of lugging around syrup. But then what are you doing with it? Are you just putting a label on it and then going and giving it to like the local shop down the street and hoping that they sell it for 10 bucks? I guess I just don't, I don't understand. I, I don't understand like what, at, at what volume you're going to, you're going to do something with. And this reminds me of when there's a, a fuel shortage, by the way, and people are filling up like garbage bags full of gasoline and stuff. Like what are you possibly going to do with a garbage bag full of gasoline? So according to mapletrader.com, I, uh... a, a gallon of maple syrup weighs approximately 11.358 pounds. So if you take that 3,000 tons to so 6,000 pounds, that equals out to about 528.26 gallons of maple syrup. Maple uh, so Trader, a, hold on. Let's go back to mapletrader.com. Yeah. Is this is this similar to Robin Hood where I can buy and sell? You can go in and I, get on you know, new maple IPS. Yeah, can I? I'm gonna I'm gonna go in there now. I'm gonna download their app. I'm I'm hopeful that they have an app. I'm gonna download their app and then I'm going to start trading in maple syrup. Maple uh, syrup. Ma MapleTrader.com. It looks more to be like a, a I don't know, like a Reddit type of type of deal. It seems to be people posting questions and then people 
answering. So yeah, the one person, how much is maple syrup weigh? Then there's comments underneath it. Uh, so the USDA actually says uh, on its database, a gallon of maple syrup should weigh 11.358 pounds. So mm. yeah, yeah. Who I I'm learning all kinds of new things today. James Earl Jones was was an actor. Yeah, maple syrup is. You know, we're, we're using it all up. We had to break into the reserves. Someone broke into the reserves a few years ago and stole 500 gallons of it. Where do you store that? We, is it in your garage? Listen, <laughs> Tim, we started this out when, when we, uh, oh, there's Art Ramirez. Uh, 3,000 tons is 6 million pounds. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. So two thousand tons is six million pounds. Yeah, because a, a, a ton is two yeah. is two thousand pounds. So, so we started this podcast to talk about what post military life looks like and and the subjects therein. Thusly, the term or the name beyond the wire. We actually initially started out veterans beyond the wire, but some of our topics have expanded beyond just veterans. Uh, as we can tell, we're talking about maple syrup now, which is listen. This is the same conversation I have with my, my police friends who are like, where people are like, Oh, cops like donuts. I'm like, who doesn't like donuts? Everybody likes donuts. It's not exclusive to cops. Everybody likes donuts. Veterans like maple syrup. They do. And, and, and that's, and I'm sticking to my guns. Um, we're talking almost half a million pounds of syrup then. Yeah. It's that's, nuts. It's nuts. But 528,000 pounds, gallons, I'm sorry. Yeah. Yeah, I had to be tanker trucks. I, I have learned, uh, a lot here too. And I, I love that it's part of what we do here because every week we do a little bit of research into a couple of topics. I think at some point in time we reach out to our audience and say, like, what do you want to hear about? And then we, we have this (laughs) conversation. Go go deep. Yeah, right. And, and, and I mean, we've talked about, I mean, listen to this. Like last time we were talking about UFOs and, and how, you know, the difference between as I dug into it, when the Navy is releasing information about UFOs, it's not talking about actual spaceships. They're talking about just simply these are unidentified flying objects. Right? They're just things that are flying around and we don't know what they are. So that's a learning point for us, too. It's it's dispelling what we think is going on out there. Um, but we learn about, yeah, J- James Earl Jones and the, the people who win the Medal of Honor and all the other topics. And maple syrup. I'm going to go trade in maple syrup. I'm going to get rid of the Bitcoin and yeah. the the Johnson no more speculating stock. on these on these meme coins. It's all maple syrup for me now. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I will. I will say I'm already picturing, uh, you know, someone in Hollywood drafting up a Canadian version of uh, Fast and Furious, but instead of stealing DVD players, they're just robbing tanker trucks of maple syrup. <laughs> you know, we got to find a Canadian Vin Diesel. What's the name of that show? So maple syrup is not fast. It doesn't move fast. It's viscous. It's uh. The, the the slow and the viscous, or something along those lines. Slow uh, and sweet. And, yeah, uh, slow slow and sweet. Yeah, yeah. And, and these guys are driving around and I don't know. They're driving around on bicycles trying to rob tanker trucks full of maple syrup. <laughs> now imagine this, and I I know we're running up on the clock here, but imagine this that you are a tanker truck full of maple syrup and you tip your truck over. God forbid. What does that mess look like? Think about that. Think about that. Uh, I don't know what that would look like, but did you hear about the armored car that wrecked on the I-5 in California last week, spilling ones and twenties all over the highway? And just, I mean, 
Traffic on the I-5 is bad enough as it is. Shout out to Art Ramirez, who I'm sure is still listening. He drives the I-5 uh, on a pretty regular basis. I would imagine still living out there in L.A. But yeah, traffic just stopped as people were getting out of their cars and just grabbing handfuls of cash. Right. Well, with inflation, little do they know, each of them only picked up the equivalent yeah. of 68 cents. <laughs> yes. So yeah. you, you got ones and 20s, and it's not worth much right now. Yeah. yeah. So I'm going to go buy a new house. and it, 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 It'll buy you the doorknob for your new house. So I'm looking up Canadian Vin Diesel. I'm not getting any big hits. But yeah, we need to find a Canadian Vin Diesel that's out there looking to rob tanker trucks of maple syrup and Take the them back to his body shop, or I don't the whole know, crew. Know. Yeah, you got to get the whole crew together. You got to get they're, all. They're those on. They're on dog sleds. Oh, there we go. <laughs> Horses. Yeah, they're on something. They're on something. They're on dog not, sleds. Yeah, racing. You know, racing but each you know, other. And, you know who's chasing them? The Canadian Mounties. The Canadian Mounties on horseback. There yep. you go. <laughs> Look at this. We've just we've just written a movie, Tim. Maple syrup. Sweet yep. and slow. Sweet and slow. The sweet and the slow. Well, that was that was a fun way to, to end the podcast this week. Um, I want to apologize uh, for being a day late. Uh, I was feeling under the weather a little bit yesterday. Had a bit of a headache. Uh, so we pushed it to today. So uh, sorry for the, for the late. Uh, yeah, Art, that, that's my question right there. Is Where would you stash 528,000 gallons of maple syrup? Yeah, well, I don't... If, if you're selling it and, and you're selling it at a premium, then you just go ahead and take your profits and you build yourself a pole barn in your backyard and you store it all in there in storage tanks. I guess I guess maybe you just buy up bottles, fill up these bottles, take them to local grocers and be like, hey, I started a maple syrup company. And right. It's called The Slow and the Sweet, starring yeah. Vin Diesel. And they're yeah. like, oh my gosh, it's maple syrup from a movie. Yeah. I don't know. It's yeah. it's. I don't have anywhere where I can store that much syrup. That's for daggone sure. Yeah, I, I have no idea. So, yeah. Anyways, uh, as always, uh, thank you all for checking out the podcast and listening and watching. We appreciate every single one of you. Uh, you can find us on all the major social media platforms as well as all the major podcast platforms. Uh, we'd like to see maybe next year, the end of wrap, the, the year wrap up for, for Spotify. Some people share the screenshots of, of us being like their top five podcasts and things like that. That'd be fun. Um, but until next year, We'll catch you back here every week on Beyond the Wire. And thank you very much for listening.